God makes it grow. That's what we're going to be talking about here today as we jump back into our series of studies here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Let me remind you that Paul began this letter by addressing the divisions among those in the Corinthian church. And so as we've pointed out, um, where Paul began there in chapter one, uh, he's continuing on that same note. And that's gonna become crystal clear here in the text because he makes reference back to the things that he's already said about uh, these divisions. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. Uh, He, having addressed that, he then began exposing the underlying issues that were the source of these divisions. Uh, First of all, he addressed the issue of pride, their desire to be seen by the world around them as people who were in the know, people who were socially and culturally in the somebody rather than the nobody category. Next, it was their wrong view of God's power that he addressed. Their thought was that that power was to be used to elevate themselves over others rather than to enable them to serve others. They also thought Paul's message was simplistic and lacking in intellectual sophistication. So Paul's response up to this point has been to re-educate them on the true nature of the gospel, which is tied inseparably to the cross, which will always be a stumbling block and foolishness to those who are perishing, but the power and wisdom of God to those who are being saved. He proceeds to rebuff them for their immaturity and calls them to recover a Holy Spirit perspective on the way of Jesus versus the way of the world. And so there in the uh, second chapter in the 12th verse, he said, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that last section of the second chapter, he's he's emphasizing the fact that we, we do have a wisdom, but it's a different kind of wisdom. And he's basically saying the reason you can't see it is because of your immaturity. And so now here in the verses that we read together, Paul addresses three things. He addresses in verses one through four, their worldliness. In verses five through nine, he 
emphasizes and celebrates his partnership with Apollos. And then in verse 10, he expresses his self-awareness. So um, let's, let's just kind of walk through the text here looking at each of these things. So brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Now, the word here, the, the Greek word, uh, and I, I'm using the NIV, as some of you remember, um, the word is really literally fleshly. Um, some translations uh, translate it carnal. Carnal means fleshly. But the idea in being carnal or fleshly is that you're behaving like everybody else. You're behaving like the people in the world who uh, are not spiritual people in the sense that they're not born of God's spirit. So that's what he is talking about when he says um, he could not address them as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly. And then he says, mere infants in Christ. So he calls them babies. This is a very nice way of saying you're a bunch of babies. <laughs> now, he says, I gave you milk. See, they're complaining. They're saying, oh, Paul's message is so simplistic. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Again, in other words, aren't you just acting like everybody else acts? This is the, this is the way of the world. This is what people do. People who don't have the spirit. But his point is, look, you have the spirit. So how is it that you're acting like you don't have the spirit. Now in verse five, he goes on and he says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each task. I love verse six. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So if we kind of remember the, the history of the church there, we read about it in the beginning in Acts chapter 18, the church is established. Paul is the one who planted the seed. Paul is the one who went to Corinth and preached the gospel and a church developed. Apollos was someone who came along later. Now, what we learn about Apollos by looking at the bigger picture of him in scripture is that Apollos was very, very um, eloquent. He was an Alexandrian Jew. Alexandria was a, like an epicenter of intellectualism. And so Apollos was one of those people who was brilliant and an excellent communicator. So Apollos comes in and he makes a contribution 
Paul's laid the foundation, Paul's planted the seed, Apollos comes along and he watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So remember, Paul's just trying to move them away from this competitive, weird thing that they've developed amongst them, this this party spirit where I'm of Paul. Oh, well, I'm of Apollos. Oh, well, I'm of Peter. He's trying to move them away by pointing them to the fact that, look, this whole thing is of God. This is all about God. And then he says in verse eight, the one who plants and the one who waters, he's talking about himself and Apollos, have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we, myself and Apollos, are co-workers in God's service. You see, Paul's like, You know, maybe in your minds you think that Apollos and I are in some sort of competition. Maybe in your minds you've developed a scenario where we really don't even like each other. And maybe you think I'm jealous of Apollos because he speaks so well or he's jealous of me because I was the one who planted the church. You know, Paul is saying this is all in your heads. We, Apollos and I, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then verse 10, Paul expresses his his awareness of how it is that he is used by God. And this would apply to Apollos and everyone else. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. So Paul is completely aware that it's not because of him that the Corinthian church exists. It's not because of him that these Christians are progressing, albeit ever so slowly, some of them, in their faith. This is is all back to God. It's all back to the grace of God. So This is Paul's word to them. Now, what does this say to us today? It's it's always important, as we pointed out before, it's important to see what it said to them and what it meant, first and foremost, to their situation. But then, of course, we want to apply it to our own experience. So let's take those things and walk through them looking for the application to us today. So let's talk about just this whole idea of the fact that they were worldly. They were fleshly. And this brings up the question about worldly, a a worldly Christian or as it has sometimes been expressed because of other ways it's translated, uh, the carnal Christian. What is a carnal Christian? 
Now, maybe that's something that you've thought about. Maybe it's something that you've heard of, but you weren't quite sure what people were referring to. Maybe this thought has never crossed your mind. A worldly Christian, I think probably most of us have thought about that. Most of us have probably looked at somebody and maybe even thought, wow, they're, they're so worldly. We might even look at ourselves occasionally and think, I'm, I'm worldly. So what is a carnal Christian? Is it a Christian who enjoys a glass of wine or beer? Is it a Christian who listens to secular music? Is it a Christian who drives an expensive car? Is it a Christian who wears stylish or trendy clothes? Is it a Christian whose body is tattooed and pierced? Is it a Christian who watches Netflix? Could be, could be, yet someone might do all these things and not be worldly at all according to Paul's definition of worldliness. See, this is the problem. Oftentimes, we take the things that might or might not be carnal and label them as carnal or worldly, and the things that are absolutely unequivocally carnal and worldly, things like Paul's dealing with here, division, jealousy, gossip, strife, quarreling, we don't give much thought to those things being a problem at all. This, my friends, is a reality in the Christian church and has been a battle and a struggle forever. All the way back to the first century. But, th but this is a reality, and, and it's a reality today. A man named George Marsden wrote many books, but one of his books is a book entitled Reforming Fundamentalism. And he wrote this. Now, the context of this statement would be uh, a previous generation, but believe you me, it, it finds many parallels in the current cultural moment. Listen to what he said. He said, fundamentalism has warped the Christian message by majoring on the minor in its demand for separation as the mark of the Christian life. As fundamentalists stress the big five sins, smoking, drinking, dancing, card playing, and theater attendance, they neglected the weightier fruits of the spirit. In the experience of many unbelievers, a fundamentalist is one who will not smoke but will not hesitate to split a church, who will not go near a theater, but sees nothing wrong with murdering another person's character, who will not play cards, but who will make no effort to establish helpful social contacts outside his narrow circle according to the admonition 
of our Lord that we should be the salt of the earth. This is very real. Now, it might, you know, some of the things here, of course, would maybe seem a bit outdated, but not necessarily smoking, drinking, maybe the card playing and theater attendance, but, but still among some today, I mean, th these, are, these are real issues. And the irony and really the absurdity is exactly what is being stated here that such a person will not smoke but will not hesitate to split a church. I have seen this over and over again. The, the, so, so the idea is, you know, so the person who listens to secular music, well, they're carnal. I would never do that. But I'm going to sow all kinds of division in, in the church. I'm going to gossip about people. I, I'm going to be prideful, but that's not that big of a deal. Everybody struggles with that. I was talking to a friend just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and um, he, he was telling me about a situation in a, in a particular church with a leader um, who is problematic in as much as he's very prideful. And uh, my friend said to me, yeah, he said, when you talk to this person, you, it becomes apparent immediately that they are very um, how, did, how did he say it? That, that they are very um, pleased with themselves. And I was saying, I said, you know, when when are we gonna when are we going to realize that that is a disqual that's a sin. That's, it's a disqualifying sin for leadership. Arrogance, it does not, ongoing, unrepented, unrecognized arrogance in leaders is not good. But again, well, they don't smoke, so it's okay. Or, or, you know, whatever the case. They don't watch Netflix. So, carnal Christianity, as Paul defines it, worldly Christianity, as Paul defines it, is based on real sins, like slander, like pride, like division, and quarreling and gossip and those kinds of things. Now, secondly, so as we saw, Paul goes on and he emphasizes his partnership with Apollos. So as a heading, let me just say this. We, we need to remember this. Gospel ministry is a team effort. Gospel ministry is a team effort. The Corinthians, they, in their carnality, they want to, you know, isolate the different groups. And I'm of Paul, as we saw, I'm of Apollos. And Paul is going out of his way to say, no. Apollos and I are on the same team. 
We're not competing with each other. One plants, one waters, God makes it grow. And he says, planters and waterers have one purpose. We have the same purpose. Man, if the, if the church could ever get this, which I honestly am not that much hopeful or that hopeful about, because it seems like it's just a repeated over and over again from generation to generation. But if we could just ever get that, we, we have one purpose. We are co-workers in God's service. It's a team effort. Now, some have asked why we as Calvary Chapel, why do we partner with Saddleback Church and Community Outreach? For some people, that is really bothersome that we do that. Uh, some wonder and have asked, why do we work together like, for example, with our festival in the UK, Creation Fest, why do we work with Anglicans and Methodists and Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and Catholics? Now, why, why do you do that? Well, the simple answer is that we're all on the same team. We're all members of the same body. We're all on the same mission. A better question might be, why wouldn't you want to partner with fellow believers, kingdom citizens, and members of the family of God? See, that, that's a better question. You see, Paul understands that this church in Corinth, which is, is an amazing story in and of itself and has a tremendous potential to have a great impact, he understands that this kind of stuff, this, this division and the, these petty party kinds of things, Paul understands this will wreck the work of God. This, this, will, this will prevent the work of God from moving forward. So how do, we, how do we avoid this? Well, we avoid it by adopting Paul's understanding of things. And what was that? We saw it in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. See, Paul never lost sight of the fact that everything he did was just simply a manifestation of God's grace to him. You know, at one point, because, you know, Paul was always being attacked and he was always, his motives were always being questioned and, uh, you know, people accused him of all different kinds of things. And, and at one point he says, um, regarding the other apostles, because they were oftentimes comparing him with the other apostles, he said, you know, I mean, it's almost kind of like, 
in a little bit of frustration maybe. You know, look, I labored more than all of them. And the truth of the matter is he did. But then he adds this. But it was not I, but the grace of God in me. So Paul would always come back to that reality that it was the grace of God that was at work. Whether God uses us, <coughs> you and me, individually, or if God uses us as a church collectively, or if God happens to use our family of churches around the world, we can never lose sight that it's always by grace. It will always be of grace. In the fourth chapter, the seventh verse, Paul asked them this question. He said, who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? See, we so easily forget. We so easily forget that, but for the grace of God, there go I down the wrong path. But for the grace of God, where, where would I be? So in the end, if, if I start to take credit, if I start to credit my, uh, my movement, or if I start to think that somehow there's something in us that has warranted this blessing, I, I'm on the wrong path if I start thinking that way. Now, I want to quote to you from the preface of a book called Calvary Distinctives. It's a book that we published. And it asks these questions and then answers them. What is it that makes Calvary Chapel different from other Bible-believing evangelical churches? God has done a wonderful work of balance in the Calvary Chapel movement that does make us different. It is this balance that makes Calvary Chapel a distinct and uniquely blessed movement of God. This is wrong on several levels. But where it's most obviously wrong is that it is attributing God's blessing on Calvary Chapel to something we did. Something we did better than others. What did we do? We struck a balance that God couldn't help but bless. No. My friends, that is not the reason there's been a blessing upon Calvary Chapel. There's one reason only, and that had nothing to do with any man or any method. It's called grace. By the grace God gave, Calvary Chapel was blessed, and it will be by grace, 
and grace alone that God's blessing continues upon Calvary Chapel in the years to come. Now, that is very subtle, but underneath that are the seeds of division. Because what it's basically saying is that we have been blessed above others, uniquely blessed. You know what the word unique means? It means not having any like or equal. So the idea is here that in all the church world, there's nothing quite like Calvary Chapel. See, that's wrong. Now, I used to think that. And then I got out of my little box and started seeing that, wow, the church is much bigger than I ever thought it was. And holy smokes, God's doing all these amazing things, people I never even heard of. How could God be blessing? These guys aren't Calvary. But how, how could this be so amazing? I mean, come on. And listen, I'm not the only one that thought that. We had a whole movement of people who thought that, especially in the leadership. And it subtly created divisions because anyone who wasn't doing it the way we were doing it, we just had to some, in some way either find fault or cast suspicion on it. So I'll just use the example of Saddleback Church. Oh man, so many people and wow, it's amazing. Oh yeah, but you know, they don't teach verse by verse through the Bible. So we are suspect, are suspicious that it's not really a work of God over there. It's all this man-made stuff. God help us. God help us. If we're ever gonna make any forward progress as the church in the world in the 21st century, we're gonna have to realize, no, we're, we're all on the same team. We need each other. We need the gifts of these other people that God has anointed and raised up. You know, Cheryl just recently did a podcast, you know, she has a podcast called Women Worth Knowing, which is my favorite podcast, as I've said many times before. Um, but she recently did a four-part series on a lady named Amy Semple McPherson. Now, for some people, that name means nothing. Uh, other people might know. Amy Simple McPherson was the founder of the Foursquare Church. And she was obviously a woman. So for many people, that's a, just a complete contradiction in the first place. How do you have a woman who founded a church? But you know, Pastor Chuck Smith... He has an ordination certificate because he was Foursquare. And guess whose signature is on it? <laughs> Amy Simple McPherson. 
And you know, the things that God did through that woman were astounding. They were absolutely amazing. But yet for many, no, that, no, wait, can't have, no, can't allow for that. Well, how do you explain this? I don't know, but you know, somehow must have been the devil. I don't know. We have got to, we have got to get beyond this. Let's never forget, it's the grace of God, period. Not the grace of God plus. It's the grace of God, period. When you trace it all back, when it's all said and done, when the history is finally written, and people look on, they're gonna say, wow. I don't know, it's just something God decided to do. That's the explanation for it. And if we, if we try to come up with a human explanation, we try to attribute it to a certain person's devoutness, their deep prayer life or something like that, we're mistaken for one, but then we're taking the focus off where it's supposed to be. It's God. God is the explanation. So let's never forget that. The, mo the moment we do forget it, inevitably, we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We put ourselves in a special category and inadvertently divide the body of Christ. We then end up like the Corinthians. Carnal, fleshly, worldly. In speaking of what it looks like to maintain this right perspective about God's grace, uh, St. Augustine said this. He said, this way is first humility, second humility, third humility. And however often you should ask me, I would say the same, not because there are no other precepts to be explained, but if humility does not proceed, accompany, and follow every good work we do, and if it is not set before us to look upon, beside us to lean upon, and behind us to fence us in, pride will wrest from our hand any good thing we do while we are in the very act of taking pleasure in it. And you know what humility says? Humility says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Humility says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. See, that was Paul, he, he understood that. And, and we need to understand that. So I believe, I really do believe, God will do many wonderful things in the days ahead. I believe that. It won't be because we followed some template. It won't be because 
we did what they did back in the Jesus People movement. You know, I was at a memorial service on Friday for a friend of mine, Tom Stipe. Tom was one of the early leaders in the ministry here with Pastor Chuck. Greg Laurie was Tom's sidekick. Greg and I did the memorial together along with a few others. And as we were there, you know, just remembering Tom, of course, it just was also a reminder of the amazing things that God did back in those days in the early 70s and so forth. But even as I sat and listened to it, and as wonderful as it all was, in my mind, I just thought it was so glorious, but that was then, and this is now. And as much as we could look back on it and say, wow, what an amazing thing you did back then, Lord, I think what we'd say today is, Lord, would you do something like that in our generation? It won't be the same thing. We don't need to all grow our hair out and get beads and caftans and Birkenstocks and (laughs) become hippies. It's not going to happen that way. And listen, it won't be because we went chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. As good as that might be, it is simply a method. And it's not a method that God blesses. It's just God's grace that brings blessing. And so in the end, it will be because God is good and according to his own will and purposes, he decided in his love, mercy, and grace to visit us poor, needy sinners with unearned, undeserved blessings. It always has been and always will be God who makes it grow. God who makes it grow. And listen, wherever you see growth, wherever you see fruit, wherever you see people coming to Jesus and their lives being transformed, Rejoice in it. Praise the Lord for it. Pray that God will pour out an even greater blessing on it. Thank him for what he's doing. Because, hey, our team's winning. It's all part of, we're on the same team. It's a great, great thing. And that is the perspective that we must maintain if we hope to see the grace of God poured out among us. So Lord, we thank you that you're the one who makes it grow. Lord, our own lives are a testimony to that. This church is a testimony to that. Lord, every good thing that we see is explained really only by your goodness. Not, no explanation with us. 
We are just planters and waterers. But you are the one who makes it grow. And so we praise you for that. And Lord, would you just impress these things upon us today? And Lord, if there's areas of pride, if there's areas where we are sowing division, if we're quarrelsome, if we are, Lord, thinking that we're better than others, Lord, if we're looking disdainfully at the people of God across town or at that other church or anything like that, Lord, would you just cleanse our hearts, cleanse our hearts from that. Lord, that we would never be those who so division. Lord, maybe we've even judged. We heard about somebody who has a glass of wine in the evening, and maybe we've judged that. We heard that they listened to secular music, and we judged that. Lord, help us not to judge one another, but to love one another. So work in us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, even now as we just spend just a few final minutes lifting our voices to you, Lord, we want to lift our hearts to you as well. And we ask that you would do, Lord, a cleansing work in our hearts and a sweet work in and through our lives and our church. And Lord, by your grace, would you continue to build on the foundation that you laid many years ago? We pray in Jesus' name.